From Gastona to Kansas City, if it's independent league baseball, we cover it. So grab a bat and step into the batter's box because this is the Indie Ball Report Podcast. Alright, back again, episode 26. This is going to be another solo show, but that's just because my co-host got held up at work, so I said, screw waiting, I'm going to do it myself. No fault to him, it's, this is just me being impatient. So, we're going to go ahead, we're going to go through our usual show. Uh, as you all know, I'm Nick, and I'm back again. So, let's go ahead and run through everything we're going to go through today, and then we'll jump right into it. And as we're going to try and make it a fairly, you know, a nice-sized episode, about 35, 40 minutes. I feel like that's a good place to be for everything we have to cover today, because we do have a couple of longer topics here, but let's let's start by talking about the actual uh, the play on the field. Uh, we're going to talk a lot of minors today, as they are. They had a great series up in Canada. They did a great job up there. Then we're going to be swinging back around. We're going to be talking some still some Can-Am League ball. Uh, we're going to be talking mainly about those last few playoff spots. As the first two seem like they're fairly fairly wrapped up at this point, but anything's still possible for the last two. Uh, a lot of teams still in play for that one. Uh, then we're going to be swinging over to the Atlantic League, where we're going to talk a lot of the Pass Long Island series. I think that was a very telling series for both sides, and uh, could really dictate a lot going forward in the Atlantic League, at least for the playoff picture. We're going to bring on uh, New Britain and talk about how they're really starting to come into their own the second half. They're starting to get a second wind, if you would. Of course, we'll mention High Point York and uh, Sugarland. maybe talk a little Lancaster as well. And that will do it all for the baseball portion of today's show. Then we're going to be talking the business of baseball, I suppose, is a way of putting it, or the off-the-field stuff. Uh, so be warned that around that mark, you'll be a little deficient on the baseball. Uh, we'll be swinging to Gastona and uh, Kansas City, Kansas, and with all that's happened with the with the T-bones and the like. Hopefully uh, you'll enjoy that bit. But before we get into all of that, We'll be talking about the minors, and before we get really started in them, I'd like to congratulate uh, Bobby Jones on his 200th regular season win as a manager. So congrats to Bobby Jones there. Uh, very impressive to accomplish, especially in a short time as a manager. Uh, he had a great year last year. He's having an even better year this year, and they look poised to repeat as Canon League champions, both regular season and otherwise. So congrats to him. No small milestone. He accomplished that in the second game against uh, Twilavie. But let's talk about the actual Miners Trey Rivas series as a whole. Uh, they also had a little bit of a swing in Canada, uh, Ottawa, and Quebec, of course. And they did fairly well up there, doing a great job in that swing. And by and large, they look like they've broken out of that slump. Uh, I would say that the bats are finally starting to get back, especially with the series they just had in Twilavie. By and large, they seem to be hitting well again. The team as a whole seems to be working better. They're pitching better. They're fielding better. Everything's going a lot better for the team. Uh, they've definitely shown that they deserve that number one seed. Going out to a largely, I believe, three or four games now on the IELTS for that first place spot, which will guarantee them one of anyone besides Drovia, at least for the first round. So who knows who's going to wind up in that four spot here. And while they haven't officially locked that up yet with only about uh, a week or a week or so I believe it's uh, 10 days left in the regular season it seems all but certain that they will be the one seed 
uh, barring some sort of catastrophe, I believe it's about the eight or nine games they have left to play, all they have left to uh, actually win to lock it up is about two or three games, if I recall correctly, depending on how everything breaks out. Don't quote me on that exactly, though. At the time, at least, of recording this, it's not very many before they lock that up. I believe a sweep of uh, Toyota VA may have actually clinched for them, but I don't uh, know that for certain. In the event, they didn't sweep them. They lost last night, Thursday night, and it was a very, uh, it was a close game. I kind of chalked that loss up to their retiring on Matt Roush's number. It was a nice ceremony before the game. We'll see something similar to that in New Jersey in just a week's time when uh, Isaac Pavlik gets his number retired by the Jackal. So, shifting back now to the actual miners themselves, uh, very impressive against one of the better teams in the Can-Am League. Obviously, like I said, they dropped last night's game. Winning uh, three of four is certainly a big win for them. You stole a couple of close ones, but by and large, it was just a complete domination. Uh, the Wednesday night game, that one got a little bit dicey. They started clawing back. Myers started losing the grasp a little bit, but they managed to hold on. Uh, last night, they even started out with a lead, but then they, they lost that. I believe they lost it. Uh, they had a 3-0 lead, I believe. And eventually, the uh, Agiles went on to win, I believe, 7-3. Taylor Brennan home and put them up, and they never looked back. By and large, you definitely can see the kind of classes, the miners. Then that next tier, it looks like it's uh, Three Rivers. Then you kind of have that mixed tier there where you have New Jersey and Rockland, and I'd even dare say uh, a Quebec and Ottawa in that in that tier. And if not, they're just one tier back. Uh, it's really a fight for that third place spot and the third and fourth place spot where it looks like it should be New Jersey, but after, you know, dropping, I believe, two of three, to the uh, boulders now having a game rained out last night uh, and they'll have to they won't be able to make that up as they don't meet the two don't meet again for the entire year that could come down and play a very critical role in how this shakes out towards the end there I guess it looks like it's going to be New Jersey and Rockland for my sake I'm kind of hoping because then I have a plethora of indie ball games to go to and the odds of me seeing a uh, a New Jersey New York or New Jersey New Jersey final work out very well, so that's how I'm able to go to all of these games, really. Definitely interesting seeing how this works out. Definitely a very tight race there. Uh, the Boulders, they struggled a bit, both pitching and offense at times. Their offense seems to have gotten right with themselves now. They seem to be hitting well. Grant Parks is doing good. Uh, Heyman's starting to get together. Brock Seema's uh, playing very well. Um, Oberstein, he's been playing very good. And Ehrlich's always good. So, I mean, the bats are seeming like they're getting back to normal. Uh, Pitching-wise, that the starter's role is a kind of open. Uh, there's no really knockout guy there. Zolkin looked like he was probably the best of the starters. However, he have, he's only been starting for about half the year. So, hopefully he's, uh, hopefully he's able to continue up what he's doing and has that kind of longevity. He doesn't really have the innings on his arm. So, that's what gives me kind of hope that he will continue to uh, play that well uh, going forward. Bullpen is a bit scary. Uh, I'm not really a big fan of too many guys in that bullpen. I'm a big Nick Kennedy guy. Um, I've been beating his drum for a long time. I think he is one of the better relievers, if not a top five reliever in this league. Certainly the best reliever on the, on the boulders. I don't like him in a closer role, but in the role he is in, kind of like that Tyler Clipper type, I really am a big fan of him in that role, so I like Nick Kennedy there. I like Robbie Gordon in the closer role. He struggles every, like, 
seven, eight appearances, which you can kind of deal with it if he has, you know, a handful of bad appearances. I don't believe that's going to play from the postseason. I think he'll kind of knock that off and just go back to being a regular guy. And by and large, I just, I see him being a, uh, just a solid bullpen piece there. But outside of Gordon and outside of Kennedy, there really is nobody I'm in love with in that bullpen. And so hopefully they'll kind of figure that out and all will be well in uh, Boulder land there. But it'll be tough there. But on the New Jersey aspect of things, bats are certainly hit or miss uh, behind the punk. David Harris is obviously the best bat in that lineup. There's not much debating there. Conrad Gregor's a major force there. Alfredo Marte has been very dominant the whole year, so he does challenge Harris, who just came in as the best batter. So you have a solid infielder or core there in Torino, too. Uh, you have really four solid bats in the infield um, when you add in, like, Weinrich. And then in the outfield, I only really love uh, Harris's bat, like I said. Uh, Gonzalez, actually Gonzalez, I'm not totally sold on as a hitter. I'm not totally sold on Demetrius Moore as a hitter. I'm just kind of sketchy there. Uh, Pitching-wise, though, their bullpen is fine. Their starters also, again, are pretty fine. Eduardo Reyes obviously being the top of them all, but outside of that, no other major starter stands out to me. No bullpen piece really stands out to me. Either way, both teams seem like the solid 3-4 type. I wouldn't really be surprised to even see the like a Quebec come up. Maybe it's too late. I know I had said earlier in the year, about uh, two or three weeks back, that the only team that's really truly out of it was Quebec, but now they've come on hot, they've snapped out of his win streak, and they're making a bit of a push. So, in baseball, anything's possible, but I still think they're kind of a little bit too far out with just a limited amount of time left. They only have about eight games. They need a win out, and they need either a rock or New Jersey to really hit the skids in order to kind of get there. But I will say Quebec has managed to kind of knock out Ottawa from contention. But uh, given the history of baseball in Ottawa, which you can learn about in Ottawa Champion Stadium Situation Explained on YouTube from the Indie Ball Report podcast YouTube channel. So definitely go check that out. As we all know, Ottawa is not the most uh, favorable for successful baseball outside of their one uh, 2015 campaign. Anything's possible, though. I still don't expect to see uh, the Myers in the one, uh, Trey Rivier in the three, or in the two. I would say the Boulders can leapfrog them, can leapfrog uh, the Jackals. I'd put them at the three, and then I'd definitely say the Jackals are in at the four spot. I think it's going to be that battle in New Jersey in the first round, Rockland versus uh, Trevier in the second round, and then from there, who knows, because once you're in the playoffs, anything's possible. So we shift now to the Atlantic League. Big series this past weekend, or not past weekend, this past week, Patriots Long Island. Patriots coming in after dropping a couple of games they really needed to win against the Barnstormers. Long Island coming in with the opportunity just to put an end to their rival season, and it was a good series, and the Pats nearly avoided what, in my opinion, would have really just destroyed the season. Uh, dropping three or four or being swept by Long Island would have really put them behind the eight ball, but they managed to avoid that by taking their last two games of the series. It was a solid win in the back half all the way around. They put up a lot of offense, something that this team, as we know, has struggled greatly with to this part of the season. Uh, more so than that, Long Island just didn't look themselves for the back half, so I'm not really sure 
how much you can chalk it up to one thing affecting another. But by and large, it was a very solid series by the Patriots here. And with some easy games coming up, they have Lancaster and they have, uh, and with the Patriots having an easy schedule coming up, they have the Blue Crabs that they go play and they come home, I believe, to play Lancaster. They have a very easy slate where they need to win some games. Uh, five and two over the next seven, I think, can get it done. Uh, anything less, I don't really see it as New Britain's really been coming into their own, although they have a big series against Long Island this week. So that series, again, could really end someone's season should the uh, Ducks get on get on with the way they were playing earlier in the year. If they can start getting that together and they knock out New Britain, then New Britain are kind of done. They're in a very similar position to Somerset, I'd say, in that their backs were right up against the wall and that if they don't, if they don't keep winning, they're done and they need help. Now, I don't really see either team making the postseason. I think High Point's going to wind up winning this division, opening up another wild card spot. Uh, I think Sugarland's going to wind up swiping back first place over in the freedom half of the league. That would then leave the York Revolution to steal that uh, last spot. Now, granted, New Britain is kind of in a long shot. New Britain has eight games to make up in the wild card, which definitely puts them behind the eight ball a bit, but they only have three games to make up to win the division, which makes things a lot more interesting. Um, we're going to kind of shift over from the Sling Island Patriot thing now to really talk about the bees, the, or as I've been calling them on uh, Twitter, the peanut boys, as they still owe us free peanuts. Because, you know, us just talking about them entitles us to free peanuts, as you know. You have a New Britain team here that really got to look at it as the wild card doesn't matter to them, it's the postseason that matters. You want to get to the postseason, the best way is to go through the division in that sense of you have to win the division. If you can win the division, it's easier than actually winning the wild card because they're, like I said, eight back in the wild card. And once again, I'd like to thank ALPB News for actually putting up the correct standings, unlike the website. I don't even really bother checking the Atlantic League's website anymore for uh, really stats in general, but also standings, because I know they're going to be wrong, or at the very least, it's going to make me work a lot harder than I should when I have a source that's right here and a friend of the show that's providing that. So I should definitely use the thing that works, which is the ALPB News Instagram page. So definitely follow him if you're not already. But if you're listening to us, you're probably following them. So, anywho... When you look at the actual standings, it's a lot easier to actually win the division for New Britain, seeing as they're only three back, as opposed to win the wild card where they're eight back. So that's why I'm saying they're fighting for their lives here. It's really still anyone's game. If you go in, New Britain takes three games from Long Island here, all of a sudden those are your three games back. You'll have a problem with High Point, or if High Point goes to York this week. So really, this is the... This is kind of the watershed week, in my opinion, of the Atlantic League, talking on a more broad sense here. Because High Point York can determine a lot. If York wins this, they win the series. It means York has this division on lockdown. Sugarland has Lancaster this week, so you would assume that they would take most of these games from them. Uh, York keeping pace with them here through probably their tougher part of the season would then mean that they're not going to be dropping it. I mean, granted, there is still a month left to go in the year, but I just don't see them losing that much to drop off uh, their perch as the top of the division, if they keep pace. Now, I'm not necessarily sold in York keeping pace with High Point this week, but there's a lot of ramifications if York wins. Because, like I said, in the Freedom Division, York would essentially take the division, 
high point would then be falling down. With a new written sweep, all of a sudden now everything's, you know, a lot different. And the high point in a, in a unenviable, enviable position, you would then have New Britain in the potential to just shoot right up and take over first place in the division, which is something none of us see, but it's certainly possible. And depending on what happens with Somerset, they could be really screwed. So it's a really difficult week this week coming up, or it's a really interesting week on that end. The opposite would be true should High Point win out. The worst possible scenario for Somerset here, if you're a Pats fan, is really really seeing High Point and York win the divisions. You need either Long Island to win the division and Sugarland to win the division. So that way you have two wildcard spots open, which would then give you the opportunity to sneak in. Or you need a York or a High Point to win and then sneak in above the one. But when you look at the overall wildcard standings, though, it's not as a cut and dry which you'd rather. Now, granted, as it stands right now, York's going to win a division. So, you got to look at it four games back. That's really just the end point here. I'm kind of rambling at this point. But the end point is, if you're a pa- if you're a Patriots fan, you're four games back. You need to make up four games one way or the other on high point. If you're a York fan, you need to keep winning and just keep Sugarland back. If you're a Sugarland fan, you're already in. It doesn't matter to you. If you're a Long Island fan, you're already in. It doesn't matter to you. If you're a Bees fan, you guys keep winning. Any series you don't win, now you're done. You can't afford to lose a series. And you have a big one against Long Island, you need to win that. As for a high point fan, you're in a very interesting position because you have a wild card spot if results hold, or you're got a division win if results change. You, as long as you don't go on a huge skid, my hot take's going to be right and high point makes the playoffs. So I will be like two and three. Damn. My hot takes are good this year. I'm looking at it right now. I get two of three, and uh, I get two of three. Co-host James, zero of three. Man, I'm doing good. Uh, I think we kind of beat the hell out of the play end of uh, the Atlantic League. It's basically what it is at this point. This is a big week, and whoever wins these series kind of dictates how the month of September is going to go. Uh, that's as simple as that. We can kind of move on now to off-the-field things here, and it's been no surprise that the big news of the week was a mixture of Gastona and Kansas City. Seeing as we're still kind of on the Atlantic League, let's continue on with the Gastona talk. Now, I wrote an article about it last night, so it was up uh, early Friday morning, late Thursday night, depending on how you look at things. And it really went to a lot of detail, so I definitely go to the website and then click on the Articles tab. It's the first thing under there, uh, if you're listening when this is first released. If not, just kind of scroll down on the uh, on the Articles page. It'll be there, not terribly far down. So you could read about it there, and it, I break it down a lot. I kind of give my takeaways on the whole general sense of the meaning from what I got and the information I took away and a lot of the selling points and. It's a very in-depth article, and as I said towards the end of it, I ran on for a lot longer than I thought, so I had to cut some of the uh, information from it, and now I would address it here. So I'll do that much. However, first let me just kind of recap the whole thing. If you haven't read the article, I would recommend you do, but it is a long read, so if you don't have the time, all I can kind of give you the 30 to 60 second recap of everything that's happened involving Gastona so far. 
end of July, it came out that the Atlantic League was looking to move into the brand new Fuse Complex that's being built, the, well, the Fuse District in Gastona, North Carolina. It's a small, and it's a small city just outside of Charlotte. Uh, it's about an hour away from High Point. So that's generally where your location is. They are one of three people that put in presentations and put in bids to manage the facility. Uh, the Gastona Grizzlies, who belong to the Coastal Plain League, it's a summer collegiate league, and a presentation from the United Shore Baseball League, which is the uh, one that plays all their games on the same stadium in uh, Michigan. We've talked about uh, all this previously on the podcast, but uh, as a, just a general recap, it was those three in a 3-0 unanimous vote in front of the Facilities and Management Committee. Uh, Atlantic League's proposal was selected, and so they got moved on to the August 20th City Council meeting. So what happened was they started with a small council that's in charge of running the facility, or in charge of finding people to run the facility for them, managing. They've said, these guys are probably our best bet at it. We're going to recommend you go in front of the city. So they went to the next level, if you would. They made their presentation on Tuesday this past week, and it went on for, roughly speaking, an hour. The points were brought up, a lot of good questions by city leadership, but it ultimately resulted in them skipping what was supposed to be a memorandum of understanding. Basically, a memorandum of understanding, which is an understanding to understand to negotiate later. I know it's as bureaucratic as you could get, but that's what it is, uh, at least from what I gathered. So they voted unanimously after the presentation on August 20th to skip the memorandum and go right to a management services agreement, if I'm correct on that term, which I am. Alright, so they went to an MSA, and it was unanimously voted, so nobody voted against it, that they will now begin to negotiate uh, terms of managing the facility. Uh, some of those terms would include primary tenancy, which basically means they get their pick of dates first. The Atlantic League team will get prime cut dates, if you would, uh, the dates you want, the weekend days, uh, the Wednesday day games, and your standard slate. They're going to get that. And they're the lead force. They get to call the shots. They get to manage the facility, basically. Uh, that's what primary tenancy means. The long and short of it is they all but guaranteed a team now. I mean, how they were offered membership with a tentative letter of acceptance, basically meaning uh, unless something changes, unless, uh, you know, we cannot come to terms, you're in. Uh, that's really a, what the matter is. For this little bit, though, I'd just like to kind of talk about the questions that were raised that I wasn't really able to get to in the article, because everything else is really covered in depth in that article here, and I'm starting to get tired of talking about Gastona so much in such a short period of time. Some questions that I, or some points that were raised by council officials that I found extremely interesting. Someone brought up high points attendance, and high points at nearly 2200 for attendance, 2198 at the time of the presentation. On average, they basically said that group sales personnel were being used elsewhere to get the stadium ready for play. And as a result, they lacked group sales. And as we know, group sales are a big chunk of sales. And that's why the low attendance. And now they're finally starting to get some of these group sales towards the end of the year. And that's what you're seeing their attendance start to shoot up. And that they expect next year for them to be more around 3,000 a game. And that that's what they can kind of expect from Gastona. So I thought that was interesting that they, uh, or that that was brought up and then they had given those projections as High Point was being used as comparable throughout the meeting, which makes a lot of sense. You have another team in your league that plays in North Carolina, literally an hour up the road, 
why not use them as comparable when the whole situation looks very similar. So then uh, the question of Northern College Spring Training came up. Uh, I suppose that's for filling dates, even though 200 dates were already promised elsewhere in the presentation. There is no plan for that at BB&T Point. Uh, this is in reference to BB&T Point in High Point. Uh, there was no real plan for College Spring Training. However, there is a plan to host a tournament there in 2021 at Spring Tournament. Uh, and also there'll be certain in-conference games that the university at High Point will play there, like against Wake Forest and things like that. So kind of explain the player and league model, like how the contracts are are uh, sold and things like that. Um, the other thing I really like that they brought up, or I didn't really like, but I found very interesting, was somebody brought up uh, what happened in Camden and Bridgeport. As we know, those teams don't exist anymore. The league on those teams for a while and then the cities opted to not renew the leases, and now Bridgeport Stadium is an amphitheater, and Camden Stadium is now a bunch of high-rises. And by and large, the blame that was placed on that was more so on the city for just not renewing the lease, which or, uh, they tried to save Camden. That's something I didn't realize for a while there. Uh, they put in a $4.2 million bid on the bond that kept the stadium there. However, they just kept getting bit up, bit up, bit up, bit up, and they just weren't able to save the River Sharks as a result of that. Very unfortunate, but that is the case for them. Uh, that's, those are just some of the points I wanted to bring up. Uh, I've talked about Gaston extensively in that article and on the social media, so definitely go to Indie Ball Pod on Twitter and Indie Ball Report on uh, Instagram there to get all the backstory on that, or look at the article on the website at IndieBallReport.com under the article's heading. So take a look at all of that there for a more in-depth coverage of it. I normally would talk a lot more about it. It is a lot of big news, but I just, I'm just, I'm kind of running the solo show here today. It's been about 30 minutes of me talking on end, so I'm kind of running on empty here. But we need to move to Kansas City real quick, cover that, and then get out of here. In any case, Kansas City, long and short for them, everything you've seen is pretty much the case. Kansas City is being affected. The team and the league are both trying to find a solution. Uh, I went around, I asked the team, I asked the league, I asked the city what was really happening. Is there anything else? What can we expect in the future? The league and the team responded saying that they're looking to solve the matter and they're looking into multiple ways of resolving the matter to keep American Association Baseball in Kansas City. I had mentioned during a roundup, or like the daily roundup on Instagram, that I found that a very interesting wording that they're looking to keep American Association baseball there and not keep the T-bones there. Kind of tells me that they're, that both sides, both the city and the lake, are kind of tired of dealing with the T-bone ownership group, I suppose, has been trying to sell now for the past couple months. Or that they feel like this relationship that they currently have just really isn't tenable anymore, but they want to keep the market, so they're going to be trying with something else. The T-bones did also get back to me, although... Media director, PR director, Dan Vaughn. Uh, he sent me up the chain. Adam Earlhart, uh, the owner of the team, and he said, I, I can't really have the time at the moment to explain the situation to you, but I may have the time next week. So I'll stay on that and, uh, I'll keep hammering the pavement on that until we get good answers on those questions or I get a definitive yes, no, I'm talking to you one way or the other. So we'll stay up to date on that, but long and short is they look like they're going to be gone on, uh, September 13th. Hopefully they're in the playoffs and they sweep so that way they don't get thrown out of their own stadium. But, you know, it's unfortunate. I think that's been around since, I believe, 2003. 
and they're uh, looking like they're homeless at the moment, and homeless baseball teams typically don't last. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but that's the way it goes sometimes, so, you know, uh, we'll have a whole video on that sometime over the weekend, so either Saturday, which would be today if you're listening, or uh, Sunday, we'll try and get that out to you. Yeah, with that being said, I think I've kind of covered everything here. I'm kind of running on empty at the moment. So, uh, if you guys enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Podomatic, or Apple Podcasts. If you like to see more content, go to the website, uh, Uh We got a bunch of articles and videos up there, so be sure to check those out. Videos are also up on our YouTube channel, Indie Ball Report Podcast, on YouTube. So you can subscribe to that as well. And we're on Twitter and Instagram, uh, Indie Ball Pod on Twitter, Indie Ball Report on Instagram. So be sure to uh, check us out there. Follow us on both of those to stay up to date with everything. And be sure to check out everything I've liked. And until next time, don't forget to play ball. Out.